What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Live from Manchester, New Hampshire, with election coverage, I'm John Manuel along with J.J. Cooper. No, I'm sorry, we're not in New Hampshire. We're in Newark. Uh, here in Secaucus. We're in Secaucus. We flew into Newark. Getting ready to record our uh, Top 50 Prospect show for MLB Network um, on the eve of the uh, New Hampshire primary. The Prospect show, Top 50 Prospect show for Baseball America airs Friday, February 12th, 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time uh, on MLB Network. It will re-air, actually. I have the entire schedule here, JJ, so I'll, I'll drag that out here so that people have the entire re-air schedule. It's our third year doing this Top 50 show. Very pleased to be part of it. Um, the Thrill. top 100 drops uh, after the show. We will build up with uh, redone top 10 prospects, reordered, um, unfrozen from their amber when they go online, updated through uh, here the first week of February, organization talent rankings, and then we will have, uh, of course, the top uh, 51 to 100 counting down on Friday afternoon and then uh, 1 to 50 that night on MLB Network, working along with Greg Amsinger and uh, Bill Ripken. We're pretty excited about that, J.J., our third time. Our third different co-host, Bill Ripken's got a very high standard to live up to in John Hart and Ron Darling the last two years. That, that's, a very, that, that's a very high standard. And Greg Amsinger is a uh, is a, a constant in our... Uh, we'll just say that Greg Amsinger would never be accused by Donald Trump of being low energy. No, that would never happen. I like working with Greg. Yeah, Greg I, is. He, he is the Donald Trump's uh, approved... Uh, host of the Baseball America Top 50 Prospects show. But we wanted to kick off the podcast talking about one guy who won't be, to my knowledge, on the Top 50 Prospects pod, uh, show, but although I bet we, that we, we talk promise, about him. We can't promise that it won't be. because you know, I bet we talk about Uleski Gurriel. He's technically not unblocked yet, so or what do they call it? Yeah, he's not eligible not yet. Not cleared, so right. we can argue that, you know, with that. that but yes, we will probably will talk about him. But I, it's a stunning, I, I would say... As someone, you follow Cuban baseball even longer than I have, but we both follow Cuban baseball for years and years and years and years. Yes. And I can, I, I know another way to put it is, is, I guess it's not anyone you can say is a stunning development when someone leaves Cuba now, but if there was someone who was going to be a stunning development, it would be Ileski Goriel. Yeah, and that's the guy who, you know, really, for him to leave Cuba, you had to either see Cuba's economy completely fall apart with no client state to prop it up anymore, which Which is true in Venezuela. Um, The last... I was going to say, they had a client state before that, yeah, I can't afford you anymore. Their last option was uh, Venezuela. Is more broke than them. Uh, Hard to believe, but (laughs) but yes. Um, And then uh, a combination of that, and we have to get into politics because it is part of it, an American administration that was willing to open things up. That was not going to happen under certain presidents of either stripe, of either party. Clearly, Barack Obama is that guy who did that, who opened but, things up. But the and other thing is... That's is part I, of it. But, but I will but, and take it a different way, though, which also is, is that there is... And we, the reason we said we should back up. The reason we say this is a shocking development, which is kind of amazing considering how many players have come from Cuba you know, in the last... Really, the last five years. The last five years, it has become... A torrent, a flood, call it whatever you right. want. But it is a, I mean, it's, I'll put it this way. It's enough that I would argue it has made a significant difference in the overall talent level 
of the in game. the major leagues. Yeah, absolutely. No, there's no doubt. I mean, it, it was a trickle. But when when Uleski Gurriel first burst on the scene in Cuba, it was 2003 at the national team level. He'd been a junior national team star in 2001, 2002. I'm sure I can actually. I will try to find this while we're talking. I hadn't even meant to look this up. But the infamous game where Kenny Morales pitched against Scott Casimir in 2001. I'm pretty sure Gurriel was on that team in the 18U back then as well for Cuba. But this guy's been a big deal in Cuba nationally since he was 17, 16 years old. And then before that, his father, Lourdes Sr., was a significant player. Now Lourdes Jr. has also left. And this is why this is so significant is that if there was someone, if there was anyone on the Cuban national team who you would think was not going to leave until there was just the point where they said, hey, it's state-sanctioned for everyone to leave. It would be the Goriels because of their father's very close ties in the government. That was always been the... the, the, He's always been considered by scouts the player in Cuba who who was not going to come to the States. Yeah, he was... The dad was a member of the party and it just wasn't expected that um, the sons would ever leave Cuba. But certainly as Ben Battler has written, and Ben's in the Dominican Republic today or else he'd be on this podcast. Um, but when you go back through um, the history of you know what Ben's written about the Guriel brothers, it's been evolving in the last couple of years, JJ, as more and more players, as it's been a flood. It was a trick or early. So like when Kendrick Morales, who was Guriel's teammate on the junior national team in Cuba, when he left, made the major leagues in, what, 2006? But prior to that, 2003, four, even, I think, 2005 World Cup, I think Kenny Morales, that was that World Cup was played, if memory serves, in the Netherlands. And I believe that Kenny Morales was on that team for Cuba. If it wasn't 05, he, I know he was the hero of the 03 World Cup that was played <laughs> in Cuba. Guriel was on that team. That was their first time on the senior national team together. And at that time, Kendris Morales was thought of as the better player because he pitched mm-hmm. and hit. Yeah, he was a two-way player. He was, yeah, he, Not he, as a DH, but then he right. was a two-way star. And he had more power. Um, yeah, so here's that 2001 U.S. national team that had... We should ask our man Jeremy Sowers about that. He was on that national team. Uh, he probably faced um, Guriel in the junior nationals. <laughs> it's a small world. Um, but then Guriel really became the stalwart of the Cuban national team, really starting in 2005. And for a decade... But toward the end of that run, as uh, you know, other players, whether it was Jose Abreu who was coming to the United States, Alexi Ramirez before him, and then the flood the last few years, Aroldis Chapman, all these other players, he was kind of the last man standing. And, Al- and at least Alfredo Despagne would go play in Mexico for a season under a crazy well, visa. He'd go play in Japan. And and was, Goriel did it for half a season, JJ, and then didn't even, didn't even report last year. Did not report last year. And that was when Ben started to write. Exactly. That's when Ben's antenna went up. Wait a second here. This is, but it has to be tough nowadays. Even the quote liberalization of the policy that allows a Cuban to go a, abroad and play in Japan or Mexico, which has gone away now. Mexico's kind of that door has been closed largely, or right. the U.S. and Canada and the Can-Am League, which unfortunately the Can-Am League not a big paycheck there. Um, now, and that's where the Cuban national team is in such dire straits. Talent-wise, I think, and financially, that is going to be in the Can-Am it's League next year for like two weeks, for three two weeks. weeks. Yes. And it's going to count as part of the season, just, you know. But These are things that we couldn't imagine 10, 15 years ago with Cuban I baseball. I would imagine, oh, Pedro Lazo is coming in. He's, you know, got a big match, to, you know, tonight against Quebec. Uh, right, the, Capitale. the Capitales. <laughs> you know, but, um, 
but the thing, yes, it, really what it comes down to is, is we are seeing at this point, I, I cannot imagine if you're in Cuba and you're, you live and breathe Cuban Siri national baseball. You, this has been a talent dilution unlike anything. This is basically, in many ways, I don't want to over-dramatize it, but it's, it's, trying, it's watching the Negro Leagues in the mid-50s. I think that's really fair, or early, early, like early fifties, when like there was no one left behind, basically. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I have to imagine it's very similar feeling in Cuba. I, I, I don't see why not. It's like the same cars, you know, they're driving in the same era. It really is. It's, it's the top talent gets skimmed off every year. Just when you think there isn't any more, there's more. But at some point, but, that well has to run dry. But if you're the Goriels, and something is being lost, if you're the Goriels. The big thing that comes back to us is even with the liberal, liberalized policies, like, hey, you go to Japan and make some money. Mm-hmm. But you're not making nearly, nearly, right. nearly the money like, wait, Hector Oliveira? I'm, I'm, I'm as good as Hector Oliveira. I'm, I'm actually I'm way better, better than Hector Oliveira. I'm better than Hector Oliveira. Right. <laughs> and Hector Oliveira just got a check for, six, wait, he got 60-something. $62 million with one check for $28 million. And he can't throw. <laughs> and, and you have to, at that point, say... Why am I not doing this? I think that's really what it came down to for Guriel. I think it's very not coincidental that as soon as Oliveira came, got to the United States finally and got paid the way he got paid, that that's when Guriel said, this can't stand. You know, that's, to and me, the, that's the ultimate. And the part other of part this. of it I would also say is, is that the clock was. Is very much ticking here because yeah, he's 31 years old. Soon he'll turn 32 right. during the season. Right, and we've seen the moment that you make your intentions known, it can take months to get from there to signed and you're able to play. And I mean, Hector Oliveira was going through this last off season, and we're really going into 2016 saying, I know he had some. Or some kickoff. He had more downtime too, but, but still, he, he had downtime. But still, it, it, the more downtime, I and mean, the, the guy, just think about, I mean, an older player. But A. Rod was out for a year and a half, and what he did last year, no one thought he would do that. And let's face it, these guys are not as talented as Alex Rodriguez, no. so it, it's going to take. I, I agree that timing, the biological clock, was significant in Gurriel's decision. He's going to well. be effectively a thirty. He is going to be. It's not effectively. Yeah. He'll be a thirty-two-year-old rookie, which the last again to make the analogies. The lat, the only kind of true analogies that really are a, a few Japanese league players, you know, coming over. Kenji Jojima, and and going back, then you also had in the late forties and the fifties. And when you had the integration of the game, and you had 32-year-old rookies. But the that is older, very the oldest rookies of the year, according to Wikipedia, are Sam Jethro and Kazuhiro Sasaki. Negro leaguer, exactly. Japanese major leaguer, exactly what you're talking about. And so, but it is going to be interesting when it comes to Yuleski's contract, is that, okay, Yuleski, excuse me. No, Yuleski. Yuleski, yes, I'm getting Yuleski my, is the older brother. Yes, Yuleski is the older brother who's played in the Can-Am League. Correct. But, but Yuleski, when it comes to his contract, in that you're not looking here. This is his payday. There's a lot of these contracts for slightly, even slightly, but for younger Cubans, are crafted in a way you hit free agency early or you get paid. We're buying out some of your arbitration now, right. but we're paying more. Like for Chapman, them. dude. Right. 
you're, what you're looking at for Goriel here is, is that this is the contract. Right. I'm not saying he won't have a second one, but by the by the just the rules of how normal free agency works, he won't be hitting a second contract if with any sort of significant input not here. Likely, that's right. He'll it's be 36, likely. 37, 38. Even if they give him free agency early, you're not getting a big contract that way. This is his contract. Let's talk a little bit about him as a player. I know we've been yeah. a little scatter on him because he's he's just very interesting. Um, so you have a player here who I, I, I don't even know what his closest comp is in the big leagues. I used to say Evan Longoria because there's a physical resemblance. The stance is somewhat similar as well. Gurriel's gotten a little bit bigger. I love reading Ben's scouting report from the Premier 12 where it's like, scouts really notice Yuleski Gurriel running hard at the Premier 12. And he was giving you average or above average times to first. He was just disinterested before. So you're talking about a guy who even at 31, pushing 32, Still by far the best player in a Cuban league, which is, again, the talent level there is so bad. How bad is it? Gurriel was hitting 494, 586, 861. These are numbers. That's, that he from, was that's a, the numbers you heard in 1880. Right. Then. This was 215, 215 plate appearances, so it's a small sample. But in 94, that's like better than Pat Burrell in his freshman year when the bats were nuclear. <laughs> I mean, like, Pat Burrell had 484 that year with 20 home runs. Right. And what we so see this now is what he's doing. He's performing... At that high of a level, I mean, it's uh, that's the only context I can think of, of that's no, no. close to that. You have tell, read off the the strikeout stat. That's the one. Oh yeah, thirty seven walks and two strikeouts. The that two strikeouts. The, the two strikeouts to me is is when it's like okay, I, I I understand why he's looked disinterested. I understand that. That's better he's than bonds. Bored by the league. It's like. Ah, they, there's just no way that someone's going to get a ball by me if I don't want them to. I guess it's not really better than Bonds because the power is just it's <laughs> only an 861 slugging percentage. I think Barry was 869, 863. But that like is that. no that overall that year is, is is in that you know it's a better overall offensive production than it's Bonds a, did. That's, right, and he's playing third base, and by all accounts, a good third baseman, a little erratic, more errors than you would see, but an average to above average arm. Average to above average agility, but this is an offensive player. This is the report we had in 2006, and I just uh, was texting earlier in the day with a uh, scout I know who contributed to that story 10 years ago, and he's like, from our understanding, very similar player, you know, but older, thicker, less athletic, early career, played some shortstop. I mean, this is, is going to be sad in some ways. I mean, you can call it sad if you want, like depend, but the reality of it is, is that we're not going to see the best, Gor- the best of Goriel. We're the Correct. best of Goriel is gone. played in Cuba. That's right. and uh, Played a little bored and disinterested in Cuba, to be honest. Yeah, and especially in uh, international competition was, was the same way. Um, but so now you're looking at a player who um, is going to come to the United States, and if he plays in 2016, J.J., I think it's reasonable to expect he's going to be an above-average offensive player. I don't think he's Jose Abreu crazy. that impact because he's not that young. I don't think it'd be that far off. Probably higher batting average, less power. But here's the crazy part of this, which is, depending on how this goes, because we don't know when that contract's going to be cleared, that could be very, very good for his bank account. Because what it does mean is, is let's say that this happens in May, or it happens in June, which is not outlandish. No, it's not. Considering that we're sitting here... In February, you know, and the process is starting, but there are not players like this of this talent who become available 
for nothing but money. Right. No strings attached. You're not giving up a draft pick. You're not paying a penalty. It's just He's beyond the bonus pools. That's right. Cut a check. Here's your player. Those players do not become available during the season. Imagine if, if he's available. Again, I'm being completely speculative here, but imagine if he becomes available in July. Oh, yeah, by the way, you can make a trade for this guy over here, and you can right. trade a prospect. Or you can add Goriel just for costing a lot of money. It's really hard to believe that um, he would not command, in my mind, well more than uh, what Oliveira got. He's a significantly better player. I know there might be some buyer's remorse on because of what happened with Oliveira and how that's not worked out to this point. Um, but to me, Guriel is a significantly better athlete and player when they were contemporaries in and Cuba. And if you might make the point, guy. should be able to contribute right away in a way that... He doesn't have his elbow injury. Doesn't have an elbow injury. And also, he is coming off of, he was just playing. Right. The rust should be significantly less here than it is often with Cuban players, who often, it's been a year since they've last played. And that's not the case. Uh, and Guriel has also Gurriel. played, I mean... Again, it's a minor thing, but playing even a half year in Japan does prep him a little bit for... There's also, with Cuban players, there's always an understandable, right. significant adjustment to a different culture, the different way the game's played. He's played in Japan. That's right. an adjustment to a different culture. That's, that, uh, this is a small aside, but you didn't mention the Japan thing. That's the, the last Cuban... Now that the Guriels are gone... The last Cuban guy I really want to see in professional baseball is Alfredo Despagne. Because we've heard so much about him. Like 2007, 8, 9, basically, you go back to that period of Cuban baseball where Abreu, Cespedes, I may be going back too far, but where Jonas Cespedes, uh, Jose Abreu, and Alfredo Despagne every year would trade back and forth the National Insane Home Run number, Championship, yeah, and which would be like close to 40 home runs in a 90-game season. And... Uh, you know, Despagne is the last guy, and he has such sick power, and he's such a unique guy physically. What is he, five foot nine, like 220 pounds? He's, he's an unusual... Uh, very it's, hard, unusual. it's hard to get a whole lot of physical cops. Very short, very thick. I mean, basically, he's like Hack Wilson, you know? <laughs> like, that's really... That's the comp, because he's played some center field in his time. I mean, that, that's the comp for me, is Hack Wilson. And Ben laughed as much as you did when, uh, when I made that comp to him. But um, but Guriel, you know, is a. I've always got more like Kirby Puckett just for body type because that's like someone in the you know. I'm going cross race with JJ. But <laughs> I'm like someone who played in the last 75 right. years. Exactly, uh, that's probably a better comp. But but Guriel is this it prompted one debate even in our office today. Where would he rank on a top 100? And for me, he'd be a top 50 prospect easy. Oh, I, I agree. And, and, and I but guess we, was, have, we look at him, we do look at a, philo- a different perspective. It was a philosophical question. Whereas I'm really looking at a top 100 prospect list for what that player is going to do three to five years down the line. That's how I'm looking at or it. Or in the next three to five years, really. Yes. Right? Yeah. That's what I mean, you're like, looking for. Right. What production are you going to see in that three to five year window? And I'm not I'm, looking for what they're going to do 10 to 15 years down the line. And see, and I'm looking at it, I do look at it from the perspective of, okay, and an 18 year old, a 19 year old who could be exceptional. I'm asking it more of, I'm looking at it, yes, I'm not a GM, so I'm looking at it saying, what is he gonna do in his first six years of the major? But in the, right, but, in the, but that may come three to nine years right. down the line. So that's why, 
for me, the first players I looked at on our top 100 list, without giving away where they rank, are guys like Anderson Espinoza with the Red Sox, Victor Robles of the Nationals. These are two of the younger players, less experienced, not full season time, in our top 100 list who are ranked fairly highly. For me, the next three to five years, I think I'd take Espinoza because I think he has significant upside. I don't think he'll be in the minor leagues much more than a year or two. If you believe in him, you believe that pitchers who have it don't spend time in the minor leagues. That's where I think Anderson Espinoza right, right, is. Uh, yeah, because again, I think twenty six. If, he, if, if he's as good as to, to go on, because I love going on Anderson Espinoza's yes. tangents, but to go on Espinoza's tangent again, not covering where he is in the he ranks in the top hundred. Yeah, shocker, safely. But if he's as good as we think he is, and now again, teams are going to try to limit innings. But that being said, you get nothing. If he's as good as we think he is when he goes to low A this year, yeah. he he should run out of getting there being things for him to do in low A very quickly. Correct. Because it's gonna be like the question I've heard many uh you know, many of farm directors say the question they ask is they have these different depending on the team though, is he commanding the fastball? Those right. things. But really what it comes down to in the end is is there still stuff he can learn there? Right. And I don't think Fanderson Espinoza, Julio Urias has run the same questions. Yep. Where, no, there's not. I think the main thing Anderson Espinoza has to prove to me in 2016 is just, can you throw six innings in a game? He hasn't thrown five yet in, right. a, in a game in the United States. So where we have him ranked is very bullish for a guy who's not thrown five innings in a game yet. But and Julio Urias has also been on very Absolutely. And, he, so and I understand why, but it is... It's a conundrum, and to, and it is with Anderson Espinosa. And the days of one of the other things we've done in this issue is look back at old top hundreds. And there was one year where we did not rank any St. Louis Cardinals, JJ. And we should have because Dan Heron was the number one prospect. You know how many innings Dan Heron threw that year when he was our number one prospect? I'm going to say 191. 193, I believe, is the correct answer. According to Matt Eddy, it was 193. Um, of course, I could look that up. <laughs> I probably should do that. No, it's just... But I mean, well, but, I don't like being only two off. That's right. But I mean, this is uh, this is a different era that we're in now. Very different era. No one. I don't think. <laughs> no actually, I don't think anyone threw one ninety one last year. Oh yeah. I mean, how many big leaguers did? I mean, I know there were some, but it was probably a handful. A clutch. It's just not. Yeah, it's just no minor leaguers probably throw more than one hundred and sixty. Um, it's it's a one sixty one seventy usually is around the the, the leaders. One ninety two point. 193. 193 and two-thirds innings oh. for Danny Heron that year. And we didn't rank him in the top 100, even though he had 1.4 walks per nine. And even though I loved him in college at Pepperdine, we were just real slight on Dan Heron. But the point is is that back then we didn't rank the guy almost like he was too vanilla. Now this is a guy who's so exciting. But I, you want to see him in 2016 but, do you know pitch some innings. So that's the thing. I, t- for me, if he has a successful, healthy 2016 by the end, middle end of 2017, he's going to be in the big leagues. So that's why he may have, over the next three to five years, as much or more major league value than a Uleski Gurriel. Whereas a guy like a Victor Robles, who's extremely talented, but is an outfielder, ultimately, not as impactful to me. He, I don't see as much star potential for him in the next three years. He's going to need more time in the minor leagues. Oh, yeah. And then his next he, three years. He's, he's three, probably four years away from... I was say three years from now, he could still be in the minor leagues. Right. And... Ulysses Gurriel theoretically played all three of those seasons as an above-average regular in the major leagues. So for me, he so has that's, more that's value. That's interesting, but to, again, to, to, to delve into this point, then 
that would be an argument that you really you, you are very much on drafting you'd be very much on drafting college players. No, not necessarily. It all depends on your situation as a because organization. If but you're if you running draft, an organization, if you draft a high school pitcher, you often are talking that you know, okay, well, that guy's not going to help us for four to five years. Right, that's fine. I, I, if I was picking single digits, I would not be taking a high school pitcher unless he really, really stood out. Oh, and this is right. how, and this is how Clayton Kershaw fell to the seventh pick of the draft because there are a lot of teams that think that way. It's reasonable to think mm-hmm. that way. And in the 2006 draft, for every Clayton Kershaw, there are. Right, but in the 2006 draft, there were teams that said, okay, well, we definitely think Andrew Miller is better. We definitely think Tim Lincecum is better. Maybe they didn't. We definitely think Max Scherzer could be better. We definitely think uh, Brad Lincoln could be better. Sometimes they were right. Sometimes they were close. I mean, Max Scherzer was close to better. I wouldn't say that Tim Lincecum at his peak was as good as Pete Kershaw. His peak didn't last very long. As the guy who drafted Kershaw, to, uh, Logan White, told me, hey, look, you could drive that Volkswagen cross country back and forth a few times, and it'll get you there. But wouldn't you feel more uh, secure doing that if you had to do that in a Cadillac? And regardless of the German versus American engineering, his point was the big car. You'd rather do that in the big car than in the small car. And he chose the big car, <laughs> Clayton Kershaw. <laughs> it worked out pretty well. That said, <coughs> Tim Lincecum, three World Series rings, I believe. Clayton Kershaw, zero. So Giants fans are satisfied with that as well. Uh, we, we, that's quite the digression. The point is, I do think when I'm ranking a prospect list, I do think present or value close to the major leagues, we reflect it all the time. If you have success at the upper major, at the upper levels of the but, minors okay, and that. you have high-ceiling talent, you get ranked toward the top of the top 100. That describes Uleski Gurriel to me. So, I mean, but he's I guess, clearly to the extreme end of that, but I guess really well, I don't I'll think come it back to the question I'll ask, and I think we have a little bit of a difference of how we view this. When do you think the tailing off hits for Goriel? I don't know. I, mean, I still know. I mean, I, I'm not as hard and fast on it as Matt Eddy in the office is where he says, well, at 35, he's done. I don't necessarily agree with that. So I don't agree that you're up, but it is, it is, become, it is becoming much, it, much, much, much it more is. difficult to do it much beyond that. And if that's the case... Well, that's, the, that's the question also is that he has to adjust. The number one thing, I've said this on a million podcasts, the number one adjustment is the grind. Mm-hmm. And he's going to have to, this is not Eric Nietzsche's grind. This is the grind. Uh, this is 160 games. And I guess the thing is, if you're investing that much money in Uleski Gurriel, you kind of have to have someone else to caddy for him. Because really, I don't think you probably can expect him to play, especially in his first year. First if you want to get the maximum investment, you better have another third baseman so he can play 100, 120 games. And maybe you want to have an American League team where he might value they might value him more because they can play maybe 100 games at third base and 40 at DH and still spread in some days off because otherwise, I do think you'll tax him. Especially, he's a 31, right. 32-year-old. He's who's a, also just played a half season of Serie Nationale. Now, I know that there are guys who play winter ball too. Right. But he's coming off of... In that first year. He is, he's coming off of essentially having just played the majority of... His season, it really is. It's hard. And to now he's got to work out. It's not like that. This is going to be this siesta before he signs because right now, yeah, he'll be working. It out. is the okay. Work out as hard as you've ever worked out because he'll be on the UNSS, but he's a training plan. So we'll look for the we'll look for the YouTube video sooner than later with Guriel. And again, best shape of his life. But the other thing about it is, is that we have seen the good news for him is, is that we have seen a number of Cuban players who have made very very quick adjustments. To the U.S. game. 
Abreu is the one who Abreu, among hitters who just jumps out. Jumps out. But Cespedes didn't also had a, a pretty quick adjustment. He did, but I mean he's also a limited limited player yeah. offensively. He's okay. a boomer bust player and doesn't draw a lot of walks. He's very very consistent about that. I mean, honestly, Cespedes to me is more of like a five hole hitter. Abreu is like a three or four hole hitter. You're hoping Guriel is closer to the Abreu model. But but what I was saying though is just that. But if he does have an adjustment period again, I, I would think that again a, a team who signs him for significant money this year, part of why you're doing that is is that it could be a team that's not a contending junior year. But most of the teams I think of that I would think of would be in the would be teams that would be talking about this are teams who will be in contention and who that one of the selling points is is again adding available and I, by free talent I mean talent that doesn't cost you players or draft picks right? who can help you right away, that's... JJ, that's who's the team that makes the most sense for you, Leslie yeah. Guriel? I can tell you right off the bat, to me, the number one team that should be interested in him is the Angels. They've had yes. a bad offseason. Yes. They see themselves as a contender. I know they're very right-handed. Doesn't matter. They had David Freeze at third base last year. This guy would be a significant upgrade Hey, let's, if we're to, if if we are doing this funeral pyre where we are going to eventually just head over the cliff, correct? Let's just let's all head over the cliff together. And you don't give up a first round pick, like you said. I mean, this is exactly the kind of guy. Hey, and you've had, sure, but you know what? And you've had our su- team's going to be really heading off the cliff when Trout hits free agency anyway, right? And you've had success with Kenner's Morales in the past. It was a long time ago, but it's the same manager. Um, I have to imagine he's an upgrade for them. Yeah, and I have to imagine that he. That, that to me, if Billy Epler, the new general manager there, does not already know that you've already got Yunel Escobar, another Cubano, around. Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, <laughs> seeing how many times Yunel uh, Escobar is like a secret that's been passed around. <laughs> um, your other competition for third base apparently are just Kyle Kubica and uh, uh, I guess they just acquired Jeffrey Marte, who plays a little third base, uh, and say- Caleb Cowart, your man, your main man. You love Caleb Cowart. No, no, but. Uh, and- <laughs> If they do have the Roberto Baldequin uh, aftertaste uh, that may uh, dissuade. Not on the 40 man roster. I know, but may dissuade. Uh, that, that hasn't gone so well. Um, no, it has not. That's possible. But the, to me, he, that's the number, that would be the number one destination. The, the funny one is, is that I, I don't mean this humorous, but just because the Dodgers sign all <laughs> the Cuban players, I don't know where he fits for them. But they'll think about that's that okay. later. <laughs> that's don't okay. worry about that later. I didn't know where Hector Oliveira fit with them. That didn't matter. They they sign them and then they that all sorts itself out. You're just an asset at that point. Uh, Dave Roberts, I'm sure would would figure out some way to smile about it uh, hey. for having him on the roster. You know, but I mean to be the the Angels are the best fit. I mean you always wonder about the Nationals. I mean, they need a third baseman, but they just have money to the spend. The interesting thing is that like. the Yankees seem like that they're very focused on. I, I think he would be a good fit for the Yankees, but I think that they're a team that's focused on not right. adding to payroll. So kind of take them out. Focused on the uh, Bryce Harper future, which I think, uh, I guess Jeff Passan wrote that, and I think Jeff made a lot of good points um, on what, their offseason. What about a, a team that's kind of a, a, a major, uh, a, a big revenue team or, or acts like it a lot? I don't know if they have the position. No, they don't have the position fit. Their two best players play the positions he plays. I was going to say the Mariners. Right. Well, that's it. Yeah, they have. I, I looked at them as well, but they. Have, but I thought to myself, yeah, they, they have a hundred million dollars committed to Kyle Seeger and two hundred million dollars right. committed so that's, to, that's to Robbie really, Cano. That's not really a good option. And they're and they're uh, occupied at DH as well with 
uh, NC Boomstick. Um, and I suppose they could try to play him at first base some with Adam Lynn that they again, just picked up. Again, the thing that's with, not the point. Like, that's not why you get him. Uh, again, the Red Sox don't make a whole lot of sense just because they they are still kind of stuck at uh, <laughs> third base in the short term. Um, in, in less, I mean, you, you can't not. You, you, you have to give Sandoval, maybe, if, again, depends on when he becomes available. If they get to midseason and right. Pablo Sandoval has officially shown in every way possible that he's done, right? third base is one position that they're not as stacked at as they are at a lot of positions. It, it, suffice it to say, these are all contending teams, and to me, it doesn't make sense for a non-contending team. So there's like so cross. If you're not contending, <laughs> if you're not contending, your window better start in eighteen. What about seventeen? Seven, I mean, right. say seventeen. What about like a team like the Giants, which just had again a very prolific spending off season? They got an amazing year last year from Matt Duffy. Matt Duffy does have the athletic ability to move around. I mean, well, the problem is, is, where would you move him? Well, Joe Panic hasn't shown he can play a full major league season yet. He's been a big leaver parts of two years, and has not played a full season yet. So that, that's one option. I mean, you certainly could have him as this super utility player. And I just saw today that Brandon Belt hasn't signed a contract extension. So again, first base could wind up being an option down the line. The wild card also is just that. They spent a lot of money this are, offseason. Are we are we now just reaching the point where the Mar- the Marlins have one of those rare moments where they go, ah, we're gonna spend some money. He's a Cuban, you know. Let's. That's a wild card as well. I mean, that, that could be a they wild card use as them. well. But to be the well, Angels, not no. the Angels make so much sense. It's, it's a perfect fit in a lot of ways. To me, Yudel Escobar can play other positions. Certainly could play second base. Um, Gurriel and he could play second or third. I'd imagine that you'd. Uh, but that, that, that's a team that, that makes a lot of sense. Lourdes Goriel Jr., I don't know as much about J.J., but reading We have not been following him for the last for a decade. 15 years, 10, Yeah, 15 the years. first article that I found that I wrote, wrote about Uleski Goriel was from October of 2003. So a long, long time ago. Um, Lourdes Jr., you know, the, this, this is a very random comment. I guarantee this is the only place on the web where you'll hear this comment made. You know what? Reading his report made it sound like to me was Ryan Cordell of the Texas Rangers, <laughs> yeah. a much better version. But a guy, but a guy who, who the good news is, is he plays a lot of positions. The bad news is, I have no idea where he's going to play. That's it. He plays left field for Industriales because his brother plays third base, and that's probably his best position. He's played, I think, the way Ben had it broken down in one season. He played eighty-four percent of the time in left field. Sixteen percent of the time was second, short, and third. So if you sign a Lourdes Goriel, which probably won't happen until October when he turns 23, and he's passed the bonus polls, Again, why would you, Katie bar the door. Why, unless, I mean, the only reason he wouldn't. Unless is, Lourdes Goriel is like uh, the brother, is like the Samuel L. Jackson character in Jungle Fever, and is a little light. You know, he, needs, he needs some money to weigh him down. Otherwise, he needs to wait till October right. to get the really big payday. To explain to someone who doesn't understand, like, 23, he clears that bar, and then all of a sudden you don't have to pay a penalty for exceeding, he becomes essentially again like we're talking about with his older like brother. Like a major league free, free talent. Agent. He yeah. becomes a major league free agent, as opposed to, oh, you're gonna go over to the signing bonus, which you're gonna go over to sign him probably. Well, you're gonna pay, you're gonna pay again yeah. as much to MLB as a right. penalty, and you can only do that if you have not already. Just the contrast the was pe- Hector, if you're not in the penalty box already. Hector Oliveira, older, sixty-two point five million dollars with a twenty-eight million dollars signing bonus. Yohan Moncada cost the same amount of money, $63 million, but $31.5 million to Moncada, $31.5 million tax. So, you know, and by the way, why, if again, you're the difference, and the difference there being, I, I think you, 
we could safely say 30 teams out of 30 teams to go, which would you rather have? I'd yeah. rather have you on Mankata. Absolutely. No, absolutely. So, you, you, so Lourdes Goriel should Yon wait. Mankata will take you two to three years before he's able to make that big league impact. This is true as well, but I, I would have always had Yoan Moncada over yes. Hector Oliveira for me too. The way the, and, and you know it's amazing to see Yoan Moncada and the adjustment time that he had in the South Atlantic League. Right, and that's a, but that's this a, is a that more is a, accomplished that player. Is a, but that is a useful thing to remember. I do think Guriel though. Let's just put it this way: Hector Oliveira was compared to the other top players in Cuba. The 2006 feature I wrote on Yuleski Guriel compared him to Kenders Morales, who was seen as the best player in Cuba when he was there. And Omar Linares, who's seen as the best Cuban player ever. Those were his comps. So I just think I understand yes. the reason we're making these comparisons to Hector Oliveira. He's he is, better. He's better. He's not. He's, he's not better. better. He's like two grades better. Right. Like on the. I Cubans, like your Adrian Beltre that you brought up earlier today. I like and the thing is like I think it's latter career Beltre because he doesn't. I don't know that he was ever the defender Beltre. It's are. kind of a cross between a Beltre and a Longoria. To me, like, physically, I think he's a little bit more. Of the rough thing to me is, is that, and I've always think, felt like I've been a little item in that we've seen him play at what I feel like is at his top level rather it's sporadically. Correct. In bursts. In bursts, which makes it hard to kind of... That's why it's crucial to defer to Ben's yeah. reports on this. And this is why we deferred to Ben on Hector Oliveira. Let's be honest. Last year and this year in the top hundred, we've had our doubts about Hector Oliveira, yeah. and I don't, I, you know, I'm not. This isn't throwing him under the bus. This is just acknowledging that Ben watches so many Cuban games on the internet and stores them and watches them and store. I mean, like he just has. I just imagine his Cuban baseball trove being similar to your Steelers game trove. Probably similar, don't you think? Yes, although I mean, he probably does not have a game from every year of his life. No, I'm sure he which, doesn't. Which I finally completed that. I now have, I got a 72 preseason game, and now I have a game from every year, every Steeler season of my life. Small Super Bowl aside here, when I asked JJ if Von Miller had the best game, non-Lawrence Taylor division of any outside linebacker, he instantly came up with, well, Jack Ham 76. Oh, wait a minute, that was the FC Championship yes, game. Yes, the FC Championship game. The Cowboys <laughs> game, he was good, but not at the same level. <laughs> He had an interception 34 yards downfield. It that was, was insane. It, it was, was insane 34 yards in. What a see, you, you uh, always talk about in, in being impressed by my memory, but you, this, your Steeler memory is The thing about sick. this is my, my wife will say, like, wait, but you know you know this, and you can't remember, like, you know, like you needed to get milk on the way home. And I'm like, yes, yes. But well, the, that one, milk but on the way them, home is not important. But one of, yes, but one of them I've been... Gathering in there for literally all my life since I was two. So, you know, so if you ask me, like, every now and then, when I was watching Super Bowl Ten this week, because, you know, I do that, and and I go, oh, wait, I forgot that that number was number 41. Oh, yeah, I can't forget. Well, Ben's comps on Ulysses Guriel were Hanley, Hanley Ramirez, when he was good, mm-hmm. and David Wright, in terms of age and offensive performance, if he were to leave Cuba to perform... Uh, Pursue but that gives you an country. idea. I mean, we are talking about a guy. That was last imagine? April. And that was before. That's not. We're not talking about David, I can barely get the ball to first base right. right. We're talking about the David Wright. He was we, referencing like a peak David Wright. Right. Kind but of that player. gives you an idea. Again, this is why we're excited about this. Can you imagine if this kind of player, which is what he is, becomes available during the season? It'd be a, free, it'd be a frenzy. 
I mean, that frenzy is, for sure. I mean, again, because you can look at this different ways. What happens if a team who's a contender, I mean, we're talking right now these fits, what happens if there's a significant injury? Right. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking about teams like, well, they're not a fit, which could be in June or May that I mean, you're like, oh, that's absolutely a fit. They don't have their third baseman. I mean, I, yeah, we mentioned A-Rod earlier. A-Rod wasn't a fit for the Yankees. Then Aaron Boone got hurt. Then he was a fit all of a sudden. Um, here's, the, here's the last part of the Gurriels, because Lourdes Gurriel will be in probably more toward next year's top 100. But he does sound like a player who plays a lot of outfield, is athletic, not the offensive player his brother is, but a good offensive player, a good prospect. Number four on Ben's list of top Cuban players. So the last time Ben did a list, since then, one, three, and four, the two Correa brothers and uh, Jose Fernandez all gone. This is, this, this, is, this is Cuba, you know, Cuban baseball 2016. But so, um, Lourdes Gurriel says, like, a, an, a very intriguing prospect, a guy who you'd like to try to sign and maybe try him in the infield as a 23-year-old. So last question, JJ. This is 2016. We have World Baseball Classic. Qualifiers are being announced currently. Uh, you had rosters come out for Australia, New Zealand, Philippines, and I forget who else is out there. <laughs> I think I know where you're going this, and I'm excited about where you're going. So, so the classic, 2006, fun. First one, fun event. People didn't quite know what to do with it, but it was interesting. We loved it. And the, and the uh, Asian population in Southern, in, in Southern California with the Korea-Japan uh, Korea final went bonkers for it. Daisuke Matsuzaka, the hero, Japan wins. 2009, unparalleled, fantastic event. Uh, Prospects out the Yin Yang Gung Ho Park, I think was number 19 that year. So it'll be like, that's, like, he's like the 10th yes, guy. Is a, this is, this I do believe, Peyton Manning won his 200th game uh, yes, you know, in the Super Bowl yesterday. That is our 200th reference yes, to our to the World greatest Baseball Classic right. 2009 Top 20, which we love. We, we love. And we will always love. It was a great, it was a great, uh, great time to be a baseball American. Um, 2013, we were as jazz as you could possibly be. And, and that it, classic fell a little flat. It no, just, no, 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 no. It did. No, it was just different. What was awesome about it was oh, awesome. Right. And what we needed, what we needed was, okay, for one, we had a different World Baseball Classic. It wasn't just, I'm sorry, but I don't get, ex- I, I, it's great that South Korea has been good at, but South Korea, this is just people catching up to the fact that South Korea plays really good baseball. This is true. I, when I, you literally went deep. That's what the World Baseball Classic needed, though, is that... No, like, see, I think that pointed out the weakness of it for a lot of people, that their best Italian players were all Italian-Americans. That's what made a lot see, of baseball fans not like the, see, that classic. See, but I go, for the, me. see, I go the other way, which, but the key, thing, the key thing about that, though, is, is that you had the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico... That was the best story. ...playing, for one... And the Dutch getting to the Final Four. But, but for one, clearly it mattered. It definitely mattered, especially to the Dominican players. I mean, the Puerto Rican players, it was sheer force of will of Yadier Molina to get them to the final right. four. Basically. But the Dominican final team, two. for one, it was great to see a Dominican international team actually do something. Correct. Because I mean, you want to talk about punching below your weight over and over and over. In international baseball, the Dominican Republic right. is effectively... And see, and here's the, on the long story, <laughs> I, I don't know if I've articulated this before, but... Maybe that Dominican victory in 2013, I will say, I do think it fell flat with a lot of uh, other people. If it had more prospects, right. like the 2009, more guys who were 
going to impact the big leagues? I think it would have been a bigger deal in the United States. Maybe I'm wrong. For it to be a big deal in the U.S., for what? At some point, the U.S. has to do something. In it too. This is this is true, and and, and it has never happened really. So far. no, I mean, I guess what 2009 they made the Final Four. That's the only time they've even done that. Um, but that uh, that Dominican team, by the fact the Dominican team won, this is one of the great fears of people in international baseball is that with Cuba uh, just as a country falling apart, that Cuban baseball will lose out in this. And that this great institution of Cuban baseball, the way players are brought up in the game there, taught the game, and become great baseball players, that that will be lost, and that they will become basically a colony of the United States baseball-wise, the way the Dominican is. But then the DR in 2013 winning a World Baseball Classic showed that those players could come back together and win a world championship and make the entire country proud. Maybe that actually is a... Uh, a sign that Cuba can still be a baseball force even as it domestically becomes secondary to the major leagues. See, here's where I thought you were going with this that I want to bring up, which is, is that we now have a very interesting question. Again, it's likely, stop to say it's likely that Cuba says, there is, no, he's good. The Goriels can no longer... Well, this is where it. I was headed. Oh, no, I'm headed toward, so 2017... But, they have, but the thing about this is Cuba, I, Cuba has a, a choice to make. They I do. Think, I think they Cuba's can win it? for this choice. Does Cuba want to win with a team that owns all Cubans, but Cubans who have left the And island? by the way, and I'll say, because for one, I think that you would have, the buy-in on that would be massive. Absolutely. No one would want, you would have to have two Cuban teams. <laughs> right. I mean, it's going to be like. It's going to be like. It's going to be like. Personally. I mean, it is going to be like. Wait, no, 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 no. I'm playing. No, no, I'm playing. You know, I mean. I do think that there would be a significant because again, you have to get out. You have to understand. To, I, I don't want to get political on this, but a lot of these players leaving, this is not what it was. This is not guys you know from 20 years ago. Where it's like I just got to get out of here. This is I want a payday. Everyone else is getting a payday, but I want to be able to come home too. I mean, this Cuba is my country, and that's it. They just let Jose Contreras go back. They let all these people, Brian Pena. This U.S. goodwill tour that was there in November. This, to me, is a sign that the next World Baseball Classic team will be Cuban expats who are in the United States. And that's not what really gets tricky is, is that there are some of these players who are not even expats. Right. I mean, like an Alexi Ramirez, whose wife is what uh, Jamaican and Dominican. But, but also, family. like, we are starting to see players who have been told, we don't understand why, but no, 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 they have a passport that allows them to come to the States to play. Uh, I don't know about those. You know, Who's that? Um, <laughs> no, uh, You're allowed to go other countries. No, you're still no, allowed no, to no. make a living in the United States. You can travel, but you can't you make have a to living. Still, no, no, it's you, American law that keeps It's American law, here. but they have... But no, um, not all of their... Is, uh, was it Jose Fernandez? One of the players from last offseason has... We don't understand how, but has a passport that allowed him... He didn't have to, he didn't have to do that second step. He didn't quote-unquote defect. Right, but... Again, the Goriels aren't really def- – I mean, I know they – but they're not really defecting. I mean, this is – I want to play in the States. This is where the baseball is. And – I think I'll still use that word, though. I think that they're – I think they're – the fact they had to sneak out. Right. You know. But, but what I'm saying is – That's the definition. But let's me. just say, if they don't do that, if they say, no, 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 if you've left, you can't play, that Cuban team will be – there will still be some talent there. But – it will not be a competitive. Right. 
It, it would, would not be a competitive team. It would not be a competitive team. It would be it would, it would be something that it would not be a shock if they were having to try to qualify for the next World Baseball Classic. I, I mean, again, you, you'd be taught. It would be like having to make a. It'd be like Venezuela or the Dominican used to be in like World Cups or the World Port Tournament or these kind of events where they don't have their major leaguers and they don't have their top minor leaguers. It'd be like a Cuban team now, just of players from Cuba, would basically be like, okay, this is Cuba's non-40-man roster team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the United States goes in a lot of international competitions with non-40-man roster teams, and they're always they competitive. Do, no, they're always competitive. They're they, don't, competitive they don't win. But they don't, I was going to say. Premier 12. They go and they win a silver medal, <laughs> and they go to the World Cups. When they won, they had they won when they had Pedro Alvarez and Justin Smoke and Evan Longoria, Colby Rasmus, and guys who are big-time prospects. Um, but when they have non-40-man roster players, they usually compete, compete well, don't always win. So what would a Cuba team look like, J.J.? I, I, mean, I guess Brian Pena is the Cuba catcher. He's no, much, oh, it depends. And like Yasmani Grandal is really more of a, I guess, uh, he's Cuban-American. No, but again... Do you, they, think, they, do you think they would like, want, a Cuba, want, they want a Cuban-American? See, this is where it gets interesting. JPR and Sebia, I believe, also born in Cuba. Sort of a catcher. I mean, like, I, I assume, because I, I, I've got Jose Fernandez pitching game one for Cuba in this. That's a good question. I would imagine that he would be the guy. Yes, he left Cuba at age 15, so. I mean, by the way. Allegedly. But Jose Fernandez, by, I'm alleged, thinking, by I'm, allegedly, he means he's not true. I mean, allegedly 15. Yes. So, um, but. I mean, like, so you're, you're, you're Jose Abreu, you're Nell Escobar, Jose Iglesias, Jorge Soler. Obviously, uh, Cespedes is on this team. Puig is probably in this outfield. Yasmani uh, Tomas is kicking around somewhere around here. Yeah, he, he's, he's, he's in the mix. He might have to be the third baseman with Yunel Escobar, the second baseman. I can't think of a pure Cuban second baseman um, <laughs> on this team. No room for Rosny Castillo on this uh, team. So who's your, who's your right, number but no, one? Sec- Yon is your second baseman. Uh, he's, he's an A-ball. Next year he'll be close to the big leagues. Yohan, by 2017, Yohan Makata is your second base. It's only a year away. Yohan Makata. I, I, I follow you, but like Alexi Ramirez wouldn't be maybe be the shortstop. In oh, the, I'm saying there would be consideration, saying, but Yohan Makata, if you're struggling for a second baseman, I'm giving you Yohan Makata. I might just take Alexi. Alexi. I, I was going to say, and, and again, Hector Oliveira, you know, is also could theoretically. <laughs> That's right. Well, he, he misses out. He loses out on DH to Kenneth Morales. Or Jose Fernandez will hit for himself. He doesn't need a pinch hitter. And then your pitching staff, you're talking about Jose Fernandez. You're talking about Rizel Iglesias. You're talking about... That's 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 your easy top two. Um, I think my uh, fantasy lineup back in the day was Jose Fernandez and uh, Carlos Rodon as your top two. Oh, I said, by the way, Carlos Rodon again. He wasn't born in Cuba. He was born in Miami. But, so, he's, but, the, but by, by World rules, Baseball Classic by rules, rules, he'd be there Chris Colabello. Yeah. yeah. But, hey, no, no, no. Chris Colabello actually... Like, born to Italian and lived in Italy, so... Oh, he did live in Italy. Yes. Right. His dad was playing in Italy, so... Um, I mean, the Cuban pitching, though, is a little thinner. I it mean, is. you're really looking at... Aroldis Chapman is, is your closer. I mean, there's no question on that. Lauren Dan... Odris Samer, Despagne, Roanis Elias. Just traded for... Uh, right, to the Orioles. Yeah, Roanis Elias. These are the guys, the guys you're talking about. You'll be getting a lot of Cuban players who play pitching-wise... Who play in Mexico, Mexican league? Who pitch in Japan? Who pitch in Korea? And there are a few. But, but also Yaziel Sierra, you know, some of the guys. That you I've, could, but I don't think those guys throw enough strikes. I mean, again, this is not the Cuban national team's not looking for Yoan Lopez. Right. They're looking for guys who throw strikes. 
to them, the guys like Yoslan Herrera, or no, who was the guy who the Nationals had? Uh, uh, Uneski Maya. Uneski Maya. That's what they're looking for. And they cue the Nationals. Uneski Maya probably available and says, I, I will. Uneski Maya is, uh, he made the 59 big league innings. Let's see where he pitched last. I, I can almost promise you that he pitched in Mexico last year. I think I, I, think I came across his stats. Uh, no, it was for Doosan, the Doosan Bears in Korea. So, I mean, th- this is the kind of, this is why Cuba didn't stop dominating uh, international competition. They, Pitching just is not the same, but, but the no, caliber no, 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 of hitters no, no, is no, amazing. No. But one, the one thing that is a downside for Cuban going with the U.S. players is that Cuba could dominate when it was the Cuban team, the Cuban national team. You didn't need a whole lot of pitchers. This is true. Whatever game. Oh, this game matters. Okay. Jose Contreras, you're going to pitch the semifinal. Okay, a day later, you're going to pitch the final. <laughs> and, and Laza will come in for you. That's Pedro right. Laza will come in for you in the sixth today and the tomorrow. That's right. And the next day if need be. Ooh, Uneski Maya had an 817 ERA for the Doosan Bears oh, last year. A little tough adjustment to Korea. Yikes. Um, it, it, it's an offensive league. It Korea. is. It's a very offensive league. Uh, point being that I, I that's the one... That's the next Cuban thing I'm looking forward to the most. Would be if there's a Cuban expat team, that would be a pretty sick team next year, JJ. By the Potentially way, sick team. I'm just going to stop for a second to say, before I do a little ad for her here, but before I do that, I just want to say, if you're still with us here at the 53-minute mark... We're barely the, still here. ...of the geekiest World Baseball Classic Cuban baseball discussion that we've had, of many that we've had, <laughs> many that we've had on this podcast over the years... Thank you. You are our kind of Baseball America reader and listener. I was trying to wrap up with the whole expat team. I think it's a good way to wrap but, up. But, but yes. I also do want to remind you that, you know, we were talking about the top 100. We also have the Baseball America Prospect Handbook. It's out. If you want it, you call up. You, you give the number because you're always better at giving the number. 800-845-2726. Or go to baseballamerica.com slash store. You order it. Ronnie McCabe will be have his tape gun. He will ship it out to you right away. If not him, C.J. McFadder will help. Yep. The, we, we definitely, uh, the sound of commerce is the tape gun for Ronnie. Um, taping up orders or the label maker, printing out labels. Those but are, those are good order, sounds for us. You get the full you know, scouting reports on 900 guys. You order it from us. It's actually 930. Actually, it's 940. 950, I think, actually, with the appendix <laughs> with the we, Latin American players. Although we did not put... Goriel in there because we just never imagined he was gonna. That's it. Ben did not think there was any way that he would uh, that he would go. But we actually, that's one thing that we will have to do is is like, what is Goriel's BA grade? I would say that he is probably a fifty-five low. Yeah, see, I think he's more like a sixty medium, or maybe even a sixty-five medium. I just think his ceiling is higher than that, even though he's that age. I would say that 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 the age makes his risk higher. And we are talking about the adjustment to big league pitching. I can say sixty medium. The best players have. Got, have had that easy adjustment. I, I thought Hector Oliveira would be one of those players who would make an easier adjustment. I thought that he would have to probably do it at first base. Mm-hmm. But I thought, okay, I'll play first base. I just didn't know why the Dodgers were the team that signed him. And I do think that slowed him down a little bit, partly from because like there was literally Where they nowhere. Play? That's it. They didn't, he had a hamstring problem. But also, there was no pressure to, like, let's rush him back because, right. You, well, we, we have too many of these guys right now. I mean, he couldn't play shortstop, and that was what they needed. One day, uh, late night over uh, at the winter meetings, uh, I'll have to have Andrew Friedman take his dip out, spit it out of the cup, and then explain to me, what was the deal? When that's t- when that tale can be told. I'm not sure when that will be. Uh, maybe it will be Alex Anthopoulos. Maybe it will be one of the other many GMs or ex-GMs 
uh, in Los Angeles' front office. I know Alex wasn't, AA wasn't there when they made that deal, but explain to me how, why you guys gave Oliveira all that money and then traded him within three months. It's a very strange but again, saga. It's just money. And with the Dodgers right now, money's just money. I mean, it really is. That's true. Part, part of it comes down to is, is that talent is limited, and in the Dodgers' case, money is somewhat unlimited. So if given the choice, they really just come back to it over and over. It seems like, okay, we'll just acquire the chat. We're, we're going to acquire the talent. And that's what they've done. And uh, so the, the absolutely the uh, handbook is out. The almanac is out. Directory went to press the other day. It's another Baseball America book you can order. And uh, now we're working on uh, Super Register, and then book season's over, and on to the regular season. I prefer the regular season to book season. Prospect season also is, uh, we're, we'll be wrapping up soon. Drawing to a close, really, the top 100 is pretty much the end of prospect top season. Top 100 org talent rankings and uh, updated top 10s. And at that point, really, when spring training starts, prospect, prospect season's season. over. I'm yeah. sorry. When spring training starts, that's why we try to have it, we, we have it all done. Because... When spring training starts, we are now playing 2016. That's a different time. I agree, and uh, definitely an advantage of doing it the, the way we do it. So looking forward to having it all wrapped up. Looking forward to Friday's show. JJ, thanks for geeking out on the podcast. For JJ Cooper, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you Friday night at 9 o'clock Eastern time on MLB Network, and we'll see you back here at Baseball America for the next Baseball America, uh, for the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. <laughs>